Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, before we get into this week's episode, I do actually have some genuinely exciting news. Well, it is exciting for us, and hopefully you'll feel the same. The Spooning team, including myself, are going on the road this summer. We're partnering with Pub in the Park, the UK's premium food festival, where we will be doing this show live. Yes, it's your chance, our listeners, to come and see us make complete fools of ourselves in front of a live audience. We will be, of course, interviewing your favourite chefs and some of the fantastic musical acts that are performing at this year's events. It kicks off on the 16th of May in Marlowe and then goes on to Chiswick, Reigate and St Albans. You can get your tickets at tickets.pubintheparkuk.com. Your ticket will gain you entry and you will see a huge array of music artists including McFly, Paloma Faith, Gabrielle, Busted, and many, many more. Come have some fun with us. Hello and welcome to Spooning with me, Mark Wogan. You join me here within the Groucho Club, where this podcast is recorded. Each week, my special guest has two specific dishes created around their food loves and their so-called food hates, and I feed them to them blindfolded. If you like what we're doing here, you can follow us at Spooning with Mark Wogan through all the usual social media channels, plus we have our own YouTube channel. My guest this week is the culinary legend that is Tom Kerridge, and his new book, Pub Kitchen, is out now. Welcome to Spooning with Mark. You grew up in Gloucestershire, Gloucester, city centre, boy through and through. Yeah. And single parent family for most of it. You didn't go straight into cooking. You went into acting first. I was the youngest in my year, so I left school. I was still 15 when I finished my GCSEs, and I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do. I was supposed to do a YTS scheme thing, and I was doing something, I think it was handiwork in a local school, and I just didn't bother going, and it wasn't, like, it was just not my thing. So between the ages of 16 and 18, my mum calls in my dossiers. I wasn't quite sure what to do. I was always being quite comfortable with other people's kind of conversation and being in a room with people, and my best mate, 
whose parents didn't drive me. My mum said, we, we took us to a youth theatre. So we went to a youth theatre over in Cheltenham. So we're from Gloucester and we'd go there and it was it was quite an interesting set. I mean, most people there were from like posh schools, like Cheltenham's Ladies College and, mm. you know, and there was two boys from an estate in Gloucester and it was like, all of a sudden it's like, I mean, for us, it was amazing. There's a 16 year old thing, this is the best. And like, you know, and then an agent came to see somebody else in one of the shows and then afterwards like said to me, I mean, I'd, I'd literally not been there very long and said, would you, want to sign up to the agency I was like yeah okay yeah, I can do that yeah sure I just say yes to everything why not what's the worst thing can happen I haven't yeah. really got any career plan why not see what happens and then literally two weeks after that I was filming this Christmas special in Miss Marple that was set just post-war so anything that there is that there's this hair and stuff I mean I was 17 I had hair I was 16 17 years old so it's like so then I did that and then I played a couple of things as in as a school bully in two different things, funny enough. Then I played a thief. So the Miss Marple thing, it was set in a ball stall. So I was a kid in a ball stall unit. Then I was a school bully twice. Then I was um, somebody, a thief. And then the last part that I played before I did anything else was I was in London's Burning. And when the title was going, my official title was Thug One. So it was like, <laughs> so it's kind of like, so that was, I mean, that was the point. But it wasn't really for me. I kind of realised that, like, it wasn't really my thing. Do you know the weirdest thing about it? I love the arts. I love art. I love music. I love people who are expressive through performance. I like all of that. But the weird thing that I find about acting is that you go to work to pretend to be somebody else. Like in my head, I was like, yeah, I like being me. So when you're an artist and you do paintings, you do what you're expressing a vision of something that's from an inner soul. And I know a lot of actors will say that, but they're becoming somebody else. And that's an expressive art form, and it's a skill set, and it's amazing. But for me, it wasn't a reflection of me. So it's just, it's just a bit weird. But I just you, thought, oh. you found another art form. So you went to catering college at. 18? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 17, 18, 18, I probably, yeah, walked in through the doors. What I, drew you to that? Well, actually, it's because I was, at, I went and got a job. So I went and got a job at the local hotel washing up. So I needed money. So they said, yeah, we, well, we need a KP. So I started washing up. I instantly loved the bars, the space of the kitchen. And then it was a case of, well, if I'm doing this, then maybe I'll go two days a week, three days a week to, to college. So I went to college and then... When college finished, I'd go and work in the evening, washing up, and then, then I got onto a bit of cooking, and the chef like put me onto the maybe the veg section of the garnish, and then I'd be there at the weekends, and then before you know it, I just left college and just stayed at the hotel, and it was so it was kind of like that m movement from it just kind of morphed from washing up. You moved to London. You ended up as sous chef for Gary Rhodes. I did, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say about Gary, what I loved about Gary was how his hands moved around food. There was such a reverence in which he, the way he handled food. It was extraordinary. Did you enjoy working? Yeah, for I worked for Gary um, at Roads in the Square in Pimlico. I came into London, I worked at the Capitol Hotel for about a year, and then I moved from the Capitol to, I went to Stephen Bull. So mm. one of the first British chefs to admission. Yeah. Sorry, he had a place in Blandford Street and he had a place in, um, he opened St Martin's Lane. I pretty much two weeks after opening, they were looking for staff, like obviously, like everyone does. And I went there, I got a job, stayed there, so close to opening, all the way through to closure. So like three and a half, four years later, when Stephen moved out of that space and moved to the country. And from there, the head chef, John, and myself, we went as head chef and sous chef team. He, John was head chef, and I was junior sous chef, went into work for Gary. And um, that would have been 99, then 1999. And it was just brilliant. Like when Gary was there, like there was this, like famous chef guy and he talks really well his love of food was outstanding I think Gary's biggest skill set and I'll always remember it and I always remember speaking to a mission inspector over years and they would talk about Gary and they would say that his skill set is 
taking away. If there's no point in anything being on the plate, don't put it on there. Mm. The more things that are on the plate, the more you can get judged by. Mm. So actually, just get rid of it. It's the biggest thing I took away from Gary and probably one of the biggest influences on my career, particularly at the Hand of Flowers, of understanding the simplicity. Just get everything has a purpose and a reason and don't overload it. Don't overload it. So fast forward to about 32, you make what might have appeared like the rash decision to open your own restaurant. Yeah. Talk us through that, because by then you'd met you'd met your lovely wife, Beth. Yeah, so my wife is an artist. At that point, she was working. She was a uh, head technician, or one of the head technicians for Sir Anthony Caro, who's a sculptor, mm. who's working in Camden. His work was phenomenal, and he's no longer with us. And I met her, and it was like it was really cool. It was it was one, it was brilliant to meet somebody who didn't care that I was working till one in the morning and I was doing like getting up again and go really because she had her own career and still has her own very much her career path has given gone and grown and been is amazing and you just go with that we very much gelled together but also been on our career paths but the hardest thing about being an artist I, I think for anybody that talks about it is that it's very very difficult particularly when you're in the world of sculpture as well when you work in bronze and marble you can't afford to buy the material or have the time off to get to the point when you can sell so it's a very difficult world it's a world that's done with passion and heart and soul it's not one for making money and actually the people that make money out of art aren't normally the artists anyway so it's kind of like but i mean a lot of parallels between that and the the standard of food that you started to want to produce under your own name. Yeah, well, we, we, we came to the decision that we'd open somewhere for ourselves. I mean, I was looking at a head chef's position. Beth was like, look, if we're going to go and you're going to go and do another, you're 30, 31, approach of 32 years old. If you're going to go and do those hours, you may as well, we may as well do it for ourselves. Mm. So I was like, okay, so that, that was it. We did it. So we... we um, would, would, you, would you say she drove you? Because, I mean, uh, yeah. as I understand it, she proposed to you. She did. She <laughs> proposed to me, yeah, after about six maybe eight weeks like yeah she proposed to me um she's very driven she's always worked her dad has was a very successful businessman in the 80s then lost all of his money in the late 80s when the recession hit tried very hard to make his money back again he's done okay did okay he's a, he's a very driven driven man and he comes with the potteries they're from stoke on trent is was a pottery business so they've always worked for themselves he beth's always worked for herself even though she was working for sir anthony caro it was her work her thing her time she's always been self-employed and self-driven so that conversation was one like okay and there's that scary moment of being an employee mm. knowing how much you earn which means you can pay how much for rent and you know what you can like you, you, all of those sort of things the moment you jump off and go right we're going to do it you've got no idea what you're doing you're jumping off into the abyss and seeing what happens you just got to believe in yourself and back yourself that the product is right and you'll get it okay <laughs> you opened 2005 within a year you had your first michelin star how difficult was that first year though at first, it was very, very hard. Like, we, Hand and Flowers is a small pub that seats 45 people. We were living above it. So, and I'd say living above it, it was me and Beth were in one room with two dogs. My best mate was next door because he was the barman, and the ne room next to that was the office, and that was it. So it becomes your whole life. There's no escape route. There's nowhere else to go. Even if you were not, if you, even if it was a day off, we used to close on a Monday, and then we got to the point of being seven days very quickly because we realised we needed the revenue. <laughs> but then seven days a week, you live there. You're on it. You're in. You, you, that space is just there. So it becomes, it becomes very, I, I suppose, it can become quite suffocating. It can become quite full on if you there's no escape route there's nowhere else to go so it, it was very 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 difficult 
And then it started turning. Winning that Michelin star made a difference. People were coming and people were eating. People wanted to go out. It was really, really good. I think the hardest part, um, I mean, there's been a lot of hard parts over the last 18 and a half, 19 years. But 2008 was the first real learning curve, that first big recession that hit. And that was very, very difficult. 2012, you get the second, which is unheard of yeah. in a pub. It's a pub with two Michelin stars, which yeah. kind of threw everybody. And then that kind of raised your profile another, and then TV comes along, and yeah. suddenly they were a you're weird, a celebrity chef. Well, there were a weird <laughs> few years there, because 2010, 2011, 2012, were I won Great British Menu. I went on Great British Menu, I won it. I won the main course two years in a row. And then the following January, when it was October, the guide changed briefly at that point. It came out in October. We won two Michelin stars. So in the space of like two and a half years, we went from a very busy Michelin-starred pub that was full mm. for lunch and mostly and dinner. to how difficult it is to get into your restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot easier now. Things have calmed down a lot now. And I, actually, I think the restaurant world has calmed down a lot. Mm. There was a period where everybody was eating it and the world is, is broader now. I think many people go and eat you know, great pizzas, great burgers, great... Like, it's not just great food. Mm. Like, people will go for really good stuff. And I think that's, that's spread the eating public. So it is... Different. It is different. Well, I mean, you've also spread across Marlowe as well. Mm. So you've now got is it three restaurants, three in spaces Central, in Marlowe, yeah. yeah. All of which I've been lucky enough to eat in, <laughs> yeah. and and can highly recommend you go to any of them. Thank they you. Are brilliant. And yeah. you've got another Michelin star at the Coach. Yep. And that, I mean, I love the experience there because that, for me, I like to go in there. I sit at the bar and I, I, I want to look at the kitchen. Yeah, because you know, that's what excites me. Yeah, but, it's great. It took us ten years though to before we opened it. Like you know, is it the hand and fire been open ten years before we thought we could expand and open the second one? And that's just because it's organic growth. It's about people. It's about human beings that are part of that team. And that team started off with the few people that I mentioned there to the point now where there's about two hundred and fifty across group that. And many, many, many of them have been with us for 10, 15 years, if not, like they've been a part of that whole growth process. And then underneath them, you've got people that are eight, nine years, and then underneath them, you've got four and five years. And that's almost unheard of in hospitality. And we're very, very proud and pleased with that. Because you've got the yeah. catering company as well. So, I mean, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you hitting it now at employees? Uh, to, nearly, two, nearly 250. Yeah. I mean, so that's a lot two. of people to be responsible for and I, and I think we all appreciate how difficult the last few years have been for for our respective industries I mean I make pizza I think good pizzas but I make pizza yeah uh, but you've got so many different moving parts and finding staff and 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 trying to find your margin because a lot of people will go I won't eat Tom Kerridge, he's too expensive. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, they will. I mean, but they that's because there's a lack of understanding of what goes into the hard work of it. If you're in hospitality and your business makes a 10% EBITDA, you're doing really well. <laughs> like, you're doing, you're doing amazing. You find that magic sweet spot. And 10% is nothing. Like, mm. it really isn't. And so uh, I, most hospitality businesses are not making that. Most mm. are doing five to eight. Some are even doing just breaking. And there's going to be a lot that are losing right now that are just going, I hope we can just kind of financially bumble along, losing over a couple of years. Do you think there's more pain to come? I do, yeah. Right now, I do think there's more pain to come. I don't think those mortgage high, uh, prices that have gone up, um, I don't think they're actually hitting home yet. I think this is going to be a very difficult winter. Yeah, I definitely do. And have you, have you seen a drop-off in spend per head within the restaurants and that sort of thing yeah um spend per head is, is probably sitting around around about the same 
the the number of guests coming through the door is definitely down. Like yeah. so, it's probably across board. I would say twenty percent down. But, I mean, that's very telling for someone with your reputation and and, and mm. pedigree that you're you're seeing a drop off in in actual people through the door. It's very telling about where the industry is. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from. Uh, I suppose external forces. I think people people have less disposable income in their pocket, and then what happens is it, it doesn't matter whether it's pizzas or two Michelin star spaces. The costs have gone up. The, co the roaring cost of raw ingredients and logistics and manufacturing and for everybody, it's, got, well, it's all know, gone up. I know my business. It doesn't matter which way I string it. Best case scenario, I make fifty percent less than I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we do we bring up the subject of VAT? Yeah, no, yeah, it should be reduced. Yeah, 100%. VAT in hospitality, it sits above anywhere else in Europe. You know, you've got Italy, Spain, you've got Germany, you've got France, you've got these uh, super efficient countries that respect hospitality as an industry, as a profession, as a trade that operate between eight and twelve percent VAT. Here it's twenty percent. Now that twenty percent is massive. It's a huge amount. If you think whatever something costs on a menu, whether you know whether it is a pizza or, or a steak, it's like those twenty percent disappears straight away to the government. Now, if that was reduced to ten percent, that ten percent would make a huge difference in the ability for many businesses to survive breathing space right now but actually it's future investment it's not something that would go into mine in your pocket it's right. something that you would go people constantly talk about the industry being underfunded wages are low it's a it is a lower wage um, industry but it's not a lower skilled one right. but those wages can have an increase if you those countries that I mentioned in the first place hospitality is seen as a profession it's seen as a space that people go into. In this industry, in our country, it's still seen as a transient floating space that people have not a huge amount of respect for. The moment you could reinvest, pay c complete proper professional wages, particularly at top end, you would be attracting more and more stuff, more investment into apprenticeship schemes, more like you could help create the industry as a much bigger, better, and more special place just in the eyes of people from the outside. Yeah, and I, I, what I find extraordinary, and I, you will probably agree, is given the size of the industry, that there is zero representation at government level is extraordinary. It's, I find it ludicrous. There's three million people that operate within hospitality. There's another two million on top of that that are affected by it, whether it's agriculture, fisheries, whether it's people that um, have some form of production or logistics, whether it's travel or tourism. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's a huge amount. And the hospitality is um, split across two different ministries so that, that, that that's why we had all those ludicrous conversations during pandemic about shutting at 10 o'clock and even if you're open you've got to have a scotch egg i mean all like this ridiculous <laughs> just it was just the most it's because they weren't yeah. talking to people yeah. like myself and you or the guys with the coffee shops or a five-star hotel it's just like there's no representation so you need a minister of hospitality but that minister we we all know if you're a minister it doesn't mean that you have a skill set from that particular ministry that you represent, they well, move about. Well, you maybe, need an, you need a civil service to understand. Once that. you step away from the stove, Tom, is it is it a future role? MP I, MP MP for Marlowe. Yeah, Minister for Hospitality. It's a big issue there. I think one is I think the minister. I think I would be quite happily work within the civil service and represent and be a part of helping to build a ministry for hospitality. For a minister, you have to be part of a political party and to be part of the political party that I like, it's very unlikely they get voted in tomorrow. <laughs>
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We are here to feed you yes. a bit. And we've got to that point in proceedings where I'm going to have to ask you to put this on. It's a, tr it's a trust exercise okay. here, Tom. I, li I like this. So pop that on, and I've got a little something under the cloche here. I mean, this is like a proper blindfold, isn't it? Oh, this yeah. Is like... no, we what, can't, what we can't afford to, for you to see anything. Uh, Go on, I mean, pull that down like a, a bit. You're proper... cheating a bit there, Tom. This is the bit where we get to oh. do the spoons. All right. All right. <laughs> and I'm going to feed you. Okay. So don't worry. This all a bit weird. So, trust me, Tom. I won't. I won't do you any harm. I, uh, so I'm in Soho, right, <laughs> with a blindfold on, trusting a bloke to put something in my mouth. Yeah. yeah that's how it goes okay, around just, these we, parts. Okay. Right. So it's it's sort of here comes the train, <laughs> and open wide. There we go. Nice mouthful of that for you. Tell me what you're tasting, what you're experiencing there. That's a big portion. Mint. Well, First and foremost, minty, herby, lamb, slow cooked, some form of starch, is there potatoy, boulangerie like potato, crispy outer bit of cooked lamb, I can definitely taste some mint sauce, it's delicious. Right, you can take the blindfold off. Did I get it right? You did get it right. Look at that. Not only did you get it right, it's one of the recipes out of your new book. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the slow-cooked lamb with the Indian spices, that one. That's lovely. Has Chef done a good job of interpreting yeah, that. that dish for you? I love slow-cooked lamb. It's just the best. I mean, things like shoulders and legs of lamb that have been cooked for ages on the bone, they develop so much flavour. I absolutely love it. I'm a big yeah. fan of lamb, actually. No. I mean, I, but lamb that's well done. I'm not into, like, super pink lamb. It's got, it's got I, I, I'm obsessed by my smoker that I've got at home yeah. and, the, and the slow cooking in that and all that sort of thing. It's, 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 it's a real pleasurable way to cook that as well because mm. it takes a bit of patience and you know, you, you know, you know what's coming. Got to relax, haven't you? That is one of the recipes out of this book, that, which is great. You must be proud of this book because it's a beautiful-looking tome and the inspiration is really your roots as a restaurateur, no? Yeah, well, it's 10 years since the first book came out. The first book was proper pub food, and it's kind of a... 
a nod to, I suppose, how 10 years of pub kitchens have grown and adapted over that period of time, where normal food has gone from, whether it was a bit St. Johnny 10 years ago, everything was mm. kind of like bone marrow on toast and steak tartars and lots of um, pies, and, and they're, all of those sort of things are in there. But actually, there's nowhere else in the world, um, no other food institution, no other place where you could go and eat in a pub where you might have Chinese-style pork spare ribs as a starter, followed by a Sri Lankan prawn curry, followed by sticky toffee pudding, mm. and it'd be completely normal. And you just go, it's great. Oh, yeah, I had a yeah. lovely tea. Thank you. you were, like no other restaurant. You, you, you couldn't eat like that in Italy, France, Spain. You couldn't eat like that in Japan. It's just like, I mean, and it's magical. And that's what makes our food world brilliant. And it's all done. If you think of great pubs, they, they, they hone in on beautiful produce. And it's just the style and the methodology of cooking. We're a magpie nation. We take all sorts of bits and bobs. We're so culturally rich and diverse here that it's so lovely that food styles and flavours get represented in what gets wrapped up in sometimes a building from the 1700s. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's fantastic, I no, think. The whole thing's slightly incongruous, but like you say, it's, it has changed. The development of the pub culture in this country has changed the way people eat and how yeah. they approach food and, and pushed cooks to be better. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's things like that with the media, whether it's podcasts, whether it's magazines or television or radio. or But we, we all talk about food and people, the Great British public, have got into food and they enjoy it. And the more they want it, the more they question it, the more they look at it, it drives us as chefs and restaurateurs to be better. I mean, you created a pizza space that wanted to be... I'm going to do pizza, but I'm going to do a really good pizza. Mm. There's pizza and then there's pizza and there's steak and there's sandwiches and there's steak and there's sandwiches. It's like, how do you drive that? Because the, because you want to be a market leader because the great British public are going, where's the best pizza? Yeah. Where can I get? Where can I get? By them questioning, it's, a, it's this lovely circle from that's driven by us and the media, but it's mostly driven by the consumer and the guest wanting better and it's and that's better for everybody it's better for the whole you know everybody that's involved in the food world blindfold on again we've okay. got we've got your final spoon final one's coming in now open nice and wide here we go now what are you getting this time chocolate mousse yeah delicious and then the really wishy-washy flavor <laughs> of pears and it's like don't get me wrong right can I take this off? Yeah, yeah. I love chocolate, chocolate mousse, and I love pears. I just never get it together. I just don't get it. It's like, why would you put... You wouldn't put apples and chocolate together. I, I kind of get orange with it. But you know when people try to make chocolate clever? Why are we doing this? And I know this is, a, like, I mean, it's a classic French dish, and I should be like, oh, it's amazing, chocolate and pears. It's not, it's ridiculous. I think it's two things. I think it's, a, I think it's like a tart to tan that went wrong. You know, it was a mistake that they went, OK, serve it that way. I think someone put something else with something else and went, yeah, yeah, it's fine, that's what we meant to do. Because there's no way that those two flavours in my head go together. They just... Chocolate mousse, magic. That's well, what, that's our a... whole remit is to try and challenge opinions and change opinions. Okay. We failed miserably with you. It's just... It just loses. Do you know what I mean? The only way that the pear can sing in that, right, pears work beautifully when they're poached with spicing or flavours, and then they're allowed to be... The pear, the ingredient, and it's beautiful. And I, don't, I absolutely love pears. I think they're fantastic. If you're just using chocolate as a texture, then it's like fluffy and soft. But what's the point of it? You want chocolate to be. If you're going to spend money on really beautiful milk or dark chocolate and you go to the effort of creating something like that, you want that to be the thing that sings. Mix them together. I just... 
I just don't get it. It's not offensive, it's just pointless. So you won't be having the second spoon? No, but I am going to finish this bit of chocolate mousse. <laughs> Listen, Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on. The book is fantastic. I wish you every success with it and your continued success with the restaurants. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Great big spoonful of love to Tom Kerridge for taking part today. His book, Pub Kitchen, is out to buy now. Next week, I'm joined by Saturday Kitchen legend Matt Tebbett. And you can follow us at Spooning with Mark Wogan across all the social media channels because this is an audio and visual presentation. You can get us on YouTube too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.